You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. From the depths of pop culture rises a beast of unimaginable obsession to wreak havoc on the podcasts of man. This is the Giganticast. <laughs> Oh my god, Jen, we're back from G-Fest. Finally. But not really finally because I'm sad about it. I'm, I'm very conflicted. Very conflicted, huh? I'm very conflicted. It was exhausting, though. Yes. That's the one, that's the one good thing about being back from G-Fest is that you can sleep. <laughs> can I? No. No. There's too much There's too much work to be done. Oh my god, story of our there's lives. There's a year until the next G-Fest. I'm already behind on getting my cosplay <laughs> deadlines done. <laughs> Get to work. Oh my god. Welcome to the Gigantic Cast, everybody. We are outside of the One of Us studios today. Woohoo! Uh, we're here at my my office, which, which, which is more like a toy shop mixed with a hoarder's dream, I guess. I mean, I wasn't going to go there, but since <laughs> you've already gone there, you're not wrong. There's just lots of little stuff kind of scattered in the corners because... Mm, that's like lots of gigantic stuff on mm. all of the shelves, you mm-hmm. know, as as one does. As a, as a kaiju fan is wont to do. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, I know it's been a while since we've done an episode, guys. I'm trying to think of the last... I think the last episode we did was when um, Kanatani-san was here in Austin. Oh. And we did a little impromptu episode. It was me and him and Alan... And uh, we, I did a little interview with him. He's wonderful. He's a su- super sweet guy. I really enjoyed meeting him. He yeah. is just a radiant human being. <laughs> you always have such great descriptors oh. for um, everything. Um, but, okay, so just in case anyone forgot, I'm Matt. I'm Jen, Mayhem's Muse. And that's Mayhem's Muse over there. So, uh, we just got back from my 11th G-Fest... And it was my first G-Fest. first. You popped your G-Fest, Sherry. I'm a real adult now. I've been to G-Fest. <laughs> I've been to a Godzilla convention. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so good. So that's really what I wanted to do today was I want to do a quick episode where we just talked about a newbie's experience in the fandom and your first G-Fest. Because that really is like... G-Fest is sort of a rite of passage for a lot of Godzilla fans. Like... When you go to G Fest, it's not that you're not a real fan before you go to G Fest, but it's like it's a it's like an affirmation, and everyone, people, I know so many people who have gone to G Fest who are only kind of Godzilla fans, and they come back like super hype and super into it. It is the the venue where fans are made and broken, <laughs> mostly broken, mostly broken. Yeah, this one was a this was a a a. a, a I don't want to say it was hard. It was just um, a lot happened at this one. There's a lot going on. Mm. But that's that's just how cons go, you know? I mean, some years they're breezy, and some years you're up till three in the morning trying to get your shit done, or you're waking I'm sure up. that you have no idea what that's like. No. Not at all. No. No, no, no. Well, before we get too deep into it, um, Jen, you've been on a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Of the Gigantic Cast, you reviewed the Anime Godzilla trilogy with us. Yes. I made certain you were on all three of those. <laughs> um, you 
You've been on at least one One of Us episode where you reviewed Venom with us. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a few minutes and just kind of introduce you to the people first, give some context, so you're not just some, you're not some schmuck some off the street. Some rando just stumbled onto a podcast. Yeah. I get so, that. So, you know, we'll just, just do some highlights, like, just tell us kind of what you're all about, like, what's Mayhem's Muse as a brand all about, and so, who is who, who is? Oh God! Man, how how man, long is this is. supposed to be? Like, I, I don't know that we have enough time for that. Sure, I don't know that good. anybody would want like, to take enough time for that. I like <laughs> uh, so. Mayhem's Muse as an entity uh, came about in my dreams. Well, yeah, it <laughs> was my immediate post college uh, situation. I was drafted to my local roller derby team, Ooh. and roller derby is very much a opportunity for people to set their normal sides to the side and adopt a character or a persona. Kind of like wrestling, I guess. Very much so. It's okay. it's that you decide what you want to put out to people as what you have to offer. You become your own character, your own superhero, as we like to say. Be your own hero uh, when you play roller derby. And so I hem and hawed about what I wanted out of the experience for several months when I was going through the introductory process of learning roller derby. Nice. And at the time, I was very demure, very internal... I didn't speak out often enough, and I was going through this this change where I wanted to kind of kick myself in the butt and force myself to be a more dominant personality that took up more space in a room and fought for the change that I wanted to see. So, Mm -hmm. to me, Mayhem's Muse was kind of the embodiment of both a creative entity and one that has the freedom to to manifest change, right? So it's the muse of mayhem, mayhem being change and fluctuation outside of the norm. I love that. And I kind of took that on from just being roller derby into all of my creative pursuits. So when I got into fashion and runway and creative modeling, I kept the name Mayhem's Muse as kind of that function for change. So all of the creative projects that I attach myself to, I keep the name Mayhem's Muse because it's something that's meant to be inspiring and empowering and kind of drives that that focus forward. It was my own personal beacon of, hey, you can do better, you can do more, institute your own change. So that, that's where the entity of Mayhem's Muse came from. And what? Matt and I met because I was brought on to Rage Select, one of the other projects that Matt does somewhat frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted a feminine perspective and somebody who was very passionate about gaming and technology. I was at the time doing my own Twitch channel as Mayhem's Muse, uh, playing JRPGs and fantasy-based role-play games, which are my genre of choice, which is why Matt and I are now Team JRPG. Hell yeah, hashtag butt stuff. Yes, hashtag butt stuff. <laughs> and so they brought me on to Rage Select as kind of a foil to Jeff, who is very stoic, and and me, who is very excited and enthusiastic about just about everything that I apply myself to. Happy girl and the sad boy. Happy girl and the sad boy. And then they made the, uh, the huge flaw in judgment of bringing both Matt and I into the same studio at the same time. And it was a hour of powers combined mm-hmm. into just insanity to the nth degree. We, I, I, I have never, just as a quick interjection, sure. I, it's been rare in my life that I have as immediately 
been like, my friend is here, my friend is here. Because, my new BFF. Yes, it, it's it's that doesn't happen very often, I feel like, when you immediately click with someone. Yeah. And you're just like, oh my god, and we, let's come up with a bunch of stupid, stupid catchphrases and let's make up a bunch of dumb shit. I remember the first time I... Um, I actually heard you on mic was not in an episode of the of the regular Rage Select. It was in one of the podcasts. Yeah. And it was when uh it was right after the trailer for Kong Skull Island had been announced. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And Jeff brought it up and he was like, Well, what did you think of the trailer? And I remember you saying, like, Oh, you know, I just I don't know a whole lot about Kong and about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was like, well, I won't hold that against her. Uh, and, uh, I'm like, I'm not against it. I just, I genuinely don't know much about it, but hey, I'm down to watch it. I'm down to do some research, which is pretty much my way. Right. And then, and then like you said, we were on mic together. Do you remember the game? Uh, it was some JRPG. B-rank JRPG that <laughs> Jeff was just really not hype about having to cover. And so he w- he was like, man, I really want some energy on this. So I'm going to bring in my two highest energy folk as a, a way of carrying this through. And <laughs> boy, howdy, did he get what he wanted. Yeah, a little too much, at least from his perspective. I mean, we, we immediately became like fan favorites. People were making fan art. That was my favorite part of working on Rage Select, honestly. It was the first time... As an entity, I was given that kind of hype. That it's kind like of just to just see people making fan art because they genuinely enjoyed the two of us being on a thing together was really, really cool to me. Yeah. I'm used to being behind the scenes on things. Like I work in event coordinating and on film sets and I'm behind the scenes most of the time. So I'm used to everybody else getting the attention. And that's great with me. I like supporting roles. So to be in the limelight and have somebody like, I loved you guys so much, I made this thing for you. Was it, really, really cool. It's so, like, I just remembered, I remember one particular piece. It was the two of us. They had photoshopped our faces into uh, anime uh, JRPG girl bodies. It was and so and good. then Jeff was in the between <laughs> us, just like, mm. like, I hate this so much. And we're like, yeah. Yes, queen. Um, so good. And then uh, I think I personally think our best episodes were um, the Lady Killer in a Bind episodes. That was so because we did awful, like dramatic readings. And, yes. Oh, and the whole time Jeff is just like, "Why are we doing this? Um, I hate it so much." So yeah, yeah. That it it led into this really great friendship that came from the pure fact that we both share enthusiasm for things. Period. So right. I knew relatively nothing about the Godzilla genre and fandom, but Matt lives fifteen minutes down the road from me and was like, "Hey, I love this stuff a lot, and I want to hang out. Why don't you come over and we'll watch a movie together and we'll see how you feel about it." Sure. And so my first foray into the Godzilla genre was Shin Godzilla. Yes. Which was, to me, a really great film experience. Mm-hmm. I I go into things with no preconceived notions about what they're going to be. And I, I like the fact that the experience was colored by the enthusiasm of a Matt Frank, who <laughs> not only says, sit down and watch this project, but has so much background knowledge and information to give about the genre and the directors and the fan base and everything. I'm, I'm not a person who cares about, oh, don't give me spoilers of a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm always intrigued by the behind-the-scenes knowledge. So to sit next to somebody who's willing to talk through the entire movie and go, oh, this thing is this. This thing means this. This calls back to this film is really the best way I can ever experience something. And I was immediately hooked into 
the the passion and the committed nature of the fans in this genre. Right. It's fantastic to see how passionate everybody is and how much it's it's really a cultural identity for so many people. Mm-hmm. I love that about it and that absolutely speaks to my my personal interests. And I think that that was really um one of the things that I I appreciated even more about hanging out with you was that and I and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more later but like to be perfectly honest the Godzilla fandom side of me, I mean, even though it's, I mean, we're sitting in my studio right now, it's a wall-to-wall Godzilla, and then there's a Transformer section over there, there's some Power Rangers behind me, but it's almost totally Godzilla. Mm-hmm. This is a part of me that a lot of people um, have kind of been like, you need to be ashamed of this, and you need to not overwhelm people with this right out the gate, which I think is... There's a balance to be had there with, like, just work-life balance. You don't want to, like, run at somebody and scream about Godzilla at them. You want to ease people into stuff sometimes, especially when it's a niche property that they're not going to understand right off the bat. It, it speaks to my personal desire to defend the undefendable, the mm, people that don't like have that. anybody to speak up for them, which honestly is why I, I fell immediately in love with Mothra as a character. Yeah. Because she is the defender of the innocence. She is the person who will stick up for you and literally throw herself in front of a bus to save you from the world at large. So I see something like we're a part of a fandom that is given a lot of criticism from people that don't understand it on the outside. I'm like, Oh, Oh, sweet summer child. I'm gonna defend you against everybody. I just get out of their way and let them love what they want to love. Yeah. And I, and I, and that's one of the things that I, you know, I just, I, I just appreciate so much that like, you know, we've watched a couple of Godzilla movies. We're still only scratching the surface. Yeah. We're at about 10 to 12 that we've watched together so far. Is it that many? I, feel I think like so. Less than that. Maybe maybe closer to nine or ten, but it's somewhere We're up hovering there now. around that. But yeah. uh, but even then, you know, I showed you the original Mothra, and you mm-hmm. were just all about it because it's this fantasy musical, basically. It's this mm-hmm. modern fantasy musical. Which hello, yes, yeah, right. And, and knowing you and knowing the stuff that you're into. I just, uh, I'm like, okay, I, I, now that she's seen a Godzilla movie, a modern Godzilla movie, let's go back and let's watch some old school Ishiro Honda, Eiji Tsuburaya FX with Akira, no, it wasn't Akira Fukube, it was Masaru Son. I'm trying to remember exactly, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll get to the music in a bit, because boy, sure. howdy, we're going to talk about the music. Oh, but, good. Um, the, uh, but so then at one point I started telling you about G-Fest. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, G-Fest is an annual Godzilla. It started off as a get-together of maybe 20 people in a hotel in either L.A. or Chicago because the guy who organizes it, J.D. Lees, uh, lives in Canada. And he uh, thought that maybe Chicago was a good central meeting point because it's sort of, it's pretty far north, but it's still in America and it's between all these points. And, um, yeah, and, and it has been going for 25 years now. It originally was G-Con, and then I believe there was a reshuffling, and it got turned into G-Fest. And uh, this was the 26th G-Fest, and this was Jen's first, because you decided, screw it. I'm going. I'm going to G-Fest. Well, and it, honestly, it would not have happened had you not invited me. Oh. You just went, we were watching... The project one, we were watching some movie someday, and mm-hmm. you were just like, why don't you come to G-Fest with me? Like, you really, I feel like you would dig this, you would love the people, and you should you should just come. 
Well, you're such a joiner, which is what I love. Yeah. You're a very much like, like you said, you're, you're in naturally enthusiastic about stuff. Here for the hype. And I just was like, yeah, I mean, if you're really interested, come with me to G-Fest. And it worked out in my own benefit because, uh, boy, howdy, does Matt need help at G-Fest? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I, you know, I, I, I have a table there every year and I draw and I take commissions and yada, yada. And so, we spent almost a year planning for this, and um, you even decided at one point you're going to do a cosplay. It was a really great excuse for me to get out of my doldrums. Mm. I have not put together a new cosplay in a couple of years now. Mm. I went from doing a lot of freelance work in film, uh, shifting over into doing some consulting work and event coordinating. And mm-hmm. so I, last year alone, was traveling three out of every four weeks. Wow. So I had right. zero downtime. And what little downtime I did have, I spent on my competitive archery. So I was just not home at all. And I didn't have any time to put together any cosplays. So we watched the Netflix anime Godzilla project that came out last year. And we, right. as you said, we covered it in your in your podcast. And in the second episode of that, I fell completely in love with the Hoatua, uh, A, as a culture and the way that they live their lives so simply and being attuned to the planet and their own culture and how warm they are as a people. And then specifically, given the care and nurturing that they took to the archery elements of the film, which... I know it's like a 15 to 30 second part of one of the three hour and a half long films, but as a lover of traditional historical and cultural archery, there are no film projects out there these days, or not no, but very seldom is there ever a project that treats it organically and actually does the technique the way it was done in history. It's actually a huge, huge, huge point of contention in the community. So when I saw an animated film that had nothing to do with archery, right? that honed in on the fact that this is the way it would have been done and did it right. I was like, Oh my God, yes, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And Uh. the characters were strong and independent and they were benevolent and tied to Mothra. And so just all of these elements combined into the perfect situation for me to go, yes, this is what I want. It's relevant and it's new and it's hot. I'm going to make a cosplay for these characters. And then as we were getting closer to GFS itself, you introduced me to your friend Madison, yes. who is uh, Alan's niece, Yes, and she also is a huge fan of the genre and is learning things as she goes just the same yeah. way that I am. And she was like, well, I'm down to do a cosplay. Why don't we do this together? Which, well, she herself is also on She's an amateur archery enthusiast. Yes, and also has done modeling as well in runway and fashion. Mm-hmm. So we have a really similar background, although we're of uh, six or seven years difference in age yeah, and we don't like know each other. she's like younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> But she immediately jumped in and was like, well, why don't we do this together? Which is perfect, because then we can have Miana and Mina together mm-hmm. doing the thing. And so we put these cosplays together at the very, very last minute. I mean, not normal cosplay. You are creating the last bits of it the night before mm-hmm. the con or mm-hmm. the day of. We finished them about a week and a half before the actual con, but we had no chance to test out the makeup, which is pretty intense on it. Because yeah. I had to fly to, to France the week of G-Fest. Yeah. And flew straight from France to Chicago to meet up with Matt at G-Fest on Friday. Bless your heart, because <laughs> you called me. Oh, God. So, so normally we just communicate via messenger or whatever. It's quick. We're busy. Yeah. It happens. 
When I saw your number come up on my phone, I thought my I I and I and I She's love you. She's calling me. Oh God, why? And I thought something's <laughs> wrong. <laughs> and I and so I was like, yes. And and you were so sweet because you tried so hard and you stressed out so much because this was really important. That this was an important um, part of your job that you had to go do, and you had to go overseas to do it. Super last minute, like the week of G-Fest. Hey, by the way, you have to go to France for five days to do a thing for work. Surprise, you're the only one in the company who can do it. Make it and, happen. And it's just... And the fact that you were still so dedicated meant so much to me. I even went so far as to pack my entire cosplay into my carry-on so that just in case they lost my bags, oh this my cosplay God. was still going to freaking happen. Jen, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it was worth it, though. It's I love those characters so much. And to me, it's not enough to just show up and phone in the gig. I, I really wanted to take the opportunity to be a part of the culture and to tie my area of minimal experience, which is cosplay, into this genre full of so many people that have cared about it for so long and put so much into it. I didn't want to come to my first one and not really bring something worthwhile to the table. That was really important to me. Well, I, I think you definitely succeeded because the two of you... Came to our hotel room, and well, you were already <laughs> there. You you unfortunately missed the first day of G Fest, which you can see that happens. We'll try again next year. Yes, but you got there. We liquored you up and filled you with nachos. And, <laughs> I was in uh, bed by like seven o'clock at night. You crashed just so hard. It was good, which is totally understandable. And uh, was up and by it, six a.m. the next morning <laughs> to get into makeup. Oh Jesus! And I sitting. I'm, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie. I was sitting there watching you get ready. And I'm and I I had to put my headphones in at one point because I'm like I'm getting agita watching you do this because <laughs> I feel like I should be helping and I'm not. <laughs> no. And you were insistent. You were like, no, you have work to do. Go work. Yeah. And so and then of course Madison rolls in and then the two year are painting, frantically painting and, each other painting. trying to get everything done in and time. And then you finished and you're like, I gotta go downstairs. And she's like, I guess I'll finish up. And it just was a whole thing. But I think it came out fantastically. I think that considering what a rush job the whole thing was, it just... And then, of course, when people were seeing you guys, you have to remember, cosplay at G-Fest is kind of... It's a it's a strange thing. Like, they have a costume parade on Saturday, mm-hmm. which we're going to have to... Uh, next year, it's happening. Next year, yeah. We're doing it. There's a kitty. Hi, Hi kitty. kitty. Um, and... But the thing is, is that a lot of it is people making monster costumes. Right. Because the monsters are the draw of the movies. And it's a largely male-dominated genre as well. That's not to say there aren't Lady Godzilla fans. We know a lot of them. But uh, it is like this... But they market it to men, and they market it to boys. And that's sort of the perception it has. But especially recently... Um, more and more women have been getting into it, or at least been able to admit that they're into it. And Toho even themselves have been noticing that, and because <laughs> stuff's falling off the shelves. Figures are flying off the shelves. They're uh, so excited. Oh, yeah, that one's been that one's been tr- precarious for a while. Uh, anyway, Toho's been noticing that uh, a lot of the products in the Godzilla store are premium items for. Uh, more of a, of a female demographic. They have purses and makeup bags and stuff that are really cute and fun. Uh, but at G-Fest, there have been, especially recently, more and more women coming to cosplay. Uh, a few years ago, 
Morgan and our friends Seja and Chloe cosplayed as the Kaiju Girls from yes. the Ultraman franchise. They were Morgan was Zeton, uh, Seja was Miklas, and uh, you saw Chloe's Eliking. Yeah, cosplay. that was great. Yeah, and it's it's a great deconstructed version of the character, but. Um, and every now and then you'll get, you'll get, uh, ladies coming in who will, uh, cosplay as different, uh, human characters because, uh, or, and even then, uh, I remember, I sure remember, and I don't know if the, if she's been coming to G-Fest or not still, because I haven't seen her in a while. There was a little girl who would come to G-Fest and she would cosplay as the most obscure, weird shit. I remember reading about that actually. You probably did. Yeah, yeah. One year she was the manster. Which is one of my favorite Elvira episodes, actually. Uh, I know. She did an episode of this, and it's a, it's an old, uh, I think it's a Japanese-American co-production. It's about this guy who gets experimented on by this mad Japanese scientist, and he grows a monster out of one side of his body. As you do. As you do. And this little girl is cosplaying as that character. She had a little shrunken monster head on her shoulder. It was great. She also came as the H-Man one year, so she was kind of melting out of her own out of her own clothes. Nice. And then she came as a, a particular kind of yokai, which is a long-necked woman. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. I haven't I don't know if she's done any other cosplay since then, but I just was like, this girl, ah, uh, this is my child. This is mine. Queen. This is mine now. You live <laughs> in my house. So anyway, um, uh, I'm trying to think. So, so Saturday was a big day for you, and yeah. you guys were running around. Uh, well, you uh, were uh, you sat at my table all day in that cosplay, absolutely, um, and helped me out at my table and everything. And Madison, at one point, uh, Madison was working upstairs. She was helping with the autographs table. Yep. And at one point, you guys went upstairs, didn't you? And yeah, together. we did. We we took about 45 minutes to an hour and kind of ran the gamut of the con floor and went up to the dealer's room and. It was it was a really unique experience. Uh, there was it was kind of a seventy thirty of people that the thirty percent of people that understood what characters we were and were Im- immediately really excited. Mm-hmm. So we had a bunch of people asked to take our pictures, and it was really cool. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, all of the people actually from Japan who are invested in the genre mm-hmm. got it immediately and were really like, really excited. Like their eyes lit up like saucers, mm-hmm. and they were really excited to see us, which was. Really amazing to see. I'm used to doing... I, I do characters when I cosplay that intrigue me as a person. I like strong, independent, mm-hmm. off-the-wall characters. I don't necessarily do characters that are very popular. Mm-hmm. Like, my, mm-hmm. my favorite cosplay I've ever done is Sorceress Adia from Final Fantasy VII. Nice! She's not a character from that I... Seven? Uh, sorry, from Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, okay. My brain. Uh, yeah, she's <laughs> one of the main villain slash antagonists of Final Fantasy VIII, and you don't see a lot of cosplays of her. I think I've seen maybe two of them in the world, other than the one that I did at RTX a few years ago. Nice. So I do characters that speak to me personally, not characters that are popular, and this kind of speaks to that as well. I believe that Madison and I were the first people in the world to do full cosplays of the Hoatua. Period. I uh, saw one hair and makeup yeah. tutorial done on it, but I have not seen anybody else actually do the cosplay, which was really cool. So there was 30% of people that got it. Right. And then about 70% of people who knew that we were cosplaying, obviously. Right. But didn't know what it was from exactly. A couple people kind of got, oh, there's two of you and you're cute. Obviously, there must be Mothra. Right. But I don't know what exactly you're from. But the, the most interesting part of it was when we told people what project we were from... The resounding answer to that was, oh, 
I haven't watched that yet. I think I'll go watch it now because you did this. Because I've seen that there's somebody interested in it enough to actually do a physical representation of it, we're going to go off and watch this project now. That is really inspiring to me, to be able to influence that kind of change for people. Yeah, the Godzilla anime is this is this strange offbeat uh, section of the film, of the franchise at this point, because... Those movies were were intentionally made with a very different approach than most Godzilla movies usually are, and and as a result, they're kind of divisive in the fandom. There are people who really like them, and there are people who really don't like them. Sure, I've had more than a few run-ins with people who like are like they'll use them. I mean, this is true with any fandom; they'll use them as an excuse to be rude, basically. Right. But for the most part, people are like, eh, "It's not my jam." Uh, but then you'll have people who are like, I thought they were really interesting, very unique. And I'm glad that you guys could inspire more people to go look at them because they're, 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 they're different. And I think they're worth watching. Absolutely. Um, and so then, uh, it was Saturday you went and bought some swag or you Yeah, it was, it was that one trip that I took through the floor. Cause I, I pretty much camped at your booth the rest of the weekend trying to help with the prints and such. Right. Uh, but we took a, that 45-minute troll through the show floor, and I picked up a lot of, uh, a, a few pieces that I'm really happy about, That Mothra Tamagotchi. I'm so excited about it. Because I've seen that in, like, magazines and I've stuff. seen it, too, but I'm, I didn't think that I would ever find one in person, and holy hell did I. And that's what's so great about G-Fest, is that um, you will find stuff there that's like, I didn't even think this existed anymore. Like, this guy up here... That's that yeah, Mato no Orochi, the eight headed yeah, dragon. dragon. I I used to I, that's sort of thing you can't even find really in Japan anymore. Oh wow. But every year at G Fest there's at least two or three. Nice. So and now, you know, we also have people from Japan actually coming and tabling at G Fest when it used to be just people in the States. So you though they bring their own flavor to it. But anyway. I liked it. I, I so I found the Tamagotchi. Mm-hmm. I I finally got my own Mothra figure. I nice. hadn't found one in person yet that I really wanted. Uh, I got that, and then what else did I get? Oh, I got a really cute, sassy T-shirt that both uh, <laughs> Madison and I both picked up. It was a Mothra in the streets and Batra in the sheets. Which I is, thought that was funny. And of, and of course, now shit. Um, and of course, turn your phone off. And of course, now we just finished. I mean, we'll we'll get back around to this in a minute. But we just finished watching GMK, my favorite Godzilla movie. So good. It, it's a good one, and uh, we are going to watch Godzilla versus Mothra: Battle for the Earth, which is the one with Batra in it. Perfect. Because you have had no experience with Batra. Um. So uh, that evening, we decided, hey. 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 Uh, well, it's not that we decided. We had already made the decision early on that there was a concert that night. Yep. Not technically associated with G-Fest. I believe it was simply that night. There was apparently a little bit of conflict over that, like, you know, because there was some film festival stuff going on at the same time, and mm-hmm. it happens, you know. But where else are you going to do an event like that but at G-Fest? Yep. Um, so, uh, my buddy John DeSantis and Eric Hominick, uh put together, this is actually the third of these concerts they put together. Uh, they did one that was the 100th anniversary of Akira Ifakube, the main composer for the classic Godzilla films. Then the other, the second one they did was a tribute to Ko Otani, who was the composer of the film we just watched. Yep. And Otani-san was there. That was the first time he said that his music, his Godzilla music had ever been played for, for, for a crowd. And um, he might be my favorite Godzilla kaiju composer because 
his style has such a... I don't know how to describe it because he's also the composer for Shadow of the Colossus. Right. So it has this like this da na 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 like like this is very uh it's it's a lot of there's a lot of heavy awe inspiring like look at this big fucking thing. It's grandiose. Grandiose, yes. As opposed to if Akube, who's a lot more driving and punishing and militaristic, because that's what he used to do. He used to compose military marches. That's right. Um. And so this concert was actually the f- uh, it, the first half of it was composed by John. He well, he was the composer at the actual orchestra. It was at the North Shore Performing Arts Center, which is a beautiful venue. We got dressed up. You guys were going to get dressed up, but then you and Madison both decided, screw it. People were enjoying the cosplay so much. We were like, we're just going to go to the symphony in in our cosplays. This is great. And do the, it and the Thai place and not get any weird looks. Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> that food was so good, though. It was really good. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went to the we went to the concert. Now, uh, and just to give a little more premise, the first half of it was a mix of works by uh, Akira Fukube and Masaru Sato, who was one of the other main composers of the original series. He was the one that did Son of Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and had that kind of jazzy themes. Real campy. And then the second half was was the was composed by the first public composed the first public performance of composer Machira Oshima anywhere uh, who did the composition work for three of the Millennium Godzilla movies. Please tell the people what your impressions were of the concert. Man, that was a really great experience. I My background is in uh, orchestral music. I studied flute in university. And so I'm always down to go to anything musical, ballet, symphony, orchestra, you name it, I'm down. I don't care what the genre is. So I went into it knowing I was going to enjoy it regardless of the content. But I really enjoy, as we were just saying, like the grandiose nature of these, you know, film score projects. They they tell such an articulate story. You don't need to know the storyline of any particular movie to understand what's happening in the music. And the, the best part of it for me as an orchestral musician is getting to see the, the pure and adulterated responses of the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, most, most orchestral music is very hush hush. You're very quiet and demure. You don't get out of your seat. You don't make noises. It's just very like, sh- but this was a very raw audience that's not necessarily used to going to the symphony. They were just pure responsiveness. And there was a standing ovation after every single song, mm-hmm. which was really unique to see. And getting to watch the responses of the musicians was fantastic. They were all really confused. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, why are they getting up out of their seats again? But it was really great. They, they went from, all right, this is a gig playing music. That we love to look at this beautifully shared experience between us and the audience. Like the show atmosphere was just fantastic. And the best representation of that was the vocalist who had a really key role to play in both halves of this concert. There were several pieces that had uh, vocalizations in them and actual words from some of the pieces. And she went from going, all right, this is the gig. I'm, I'm reading the music. I'm doing the thing. To realizing that because she had the only vocal part 
everybody fixated on her yeah. and gave her specifically standing ovations after every piece. She just got this huge shit-eating grin on her face <laughs> and was really into it and super hype and excited. Mm-hmm. And that was a really beautiful thing to see. And it was special particularly because Michiru composed a new piece just for G-Fest and yes. just for this concert. Mm-hmm. So getting to witness a live debut of a new piece in this genre was a really special treat for somebody like me coming into it for the first time. Yeah, I was going to say that original piece was very interesting because it wasn't as heavy and driving as her Godzilla stuff usually is. Her Godzilla theme has this dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, because it's supposed to be Godzilla's footsteps. And, um, And in her Tokyo SOS suite... You can actually, it's mostly the interweaving, and we're going to watch that one because that's a big Mothra one. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an interweaving of Mothra and Mechagodzilla uh, throughout the whole theme, this heroic Mechagodzilla theme and this very delicate and mysterious Mothra theme. But throughout the whole thing, there's this dun-dun, dun-dun, because Godzilla is this overarching, underlying slash overarching threat. But the original composition was very interesting because it was much more like about the grandiosity of Godzilla mm-hmm. and the majesty and, um, and she even, uh, they even wrote a story to go with it that if you listen to it, it's like Godzilla appears, uh, uh, a lake monster mm-hmm. as our quote unquote native to the Northern lakes, like Lake Champlain and Ogopogo and all that, uh, appears, Godzilla fights it, kills it, then quote unquote, feeling invigorated, he goes and destroys the Cedar Tower for good measure. <laughs> Just because he's like, I mean, I'm all. <laughs> you expected it to be really, really dark and driving, like you say, based mm-hmm. on the description, because they told us the the program notes of what this piece is meant to represent. And going in, like the very beginning of it is very whimsical and romantic, and it's the embodiment of the movement of the waves of the lake. It, mm-hmm. it was just a really beautiful romantic piece that I think really embodies kind of that passion that people have for the genre and and the the lighthearted love for it. Even though it, it does discuss like the battle between the Leviathan and Godzilla, mm-hmm. it still it has a lot of honor to it. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I gotta tell you, I never thought in my entire life I would see a live performance of the King Caesar summoning song. And when when she stood up, now she did a little bit of vocalization before that, and we were like, oh, okay. But then when she stood up, and they and they were playing the song, and she started belting out really almost flawless Japanese pronunciation. Mm-hmm. That koari yorumo. And just like, not that my pronunciation is all that great, but like... It was I, really powerful. losing their shit. Because yeah. that song is a staple of so many childhoods, because... That's the song that leads up to the final battle between Godzilla, Mechagodzilla, and King Caesar. And it's, it's, you're right. It's, it, it's the moment. It's the moment. And, and it's that song. It's so long and it just kind of keeps going. But as a kid, you don't care because it's so beautiful and weird and it's in this other language. But anyway, um, so yeah, that was our, that was our Saturday. And, uh, we, we stumbled back to the hotel. Uh, or rather, uh, Alan uh, almost killed us driving back. Oh man, that <laughs> like, was a thing. Jesus, Alan, come on, man. <laughs> but um, but it was you, me, Alan, Madison, Morgan, and, Morgan. and our darling little Marissa, who was so sweet to uh, we 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 wanted to give her a night out with us. I love her little outfit. 
<laughs> her little hat and her little her little jacket. It wasn't a jacket, it was like a button up, but it was cute. It was a cute little look. But yeah, um and so yeah, then um moved into Sunday, and Sunday was just kind of a workhorse day. It was our last hurrah, and we just had to get through it. <laughs> But it, it wound up being um, relatively chill because, you know, it's the last day and people are just kind of getting their last purchases in. And then about 4 o'clock, everything kind of breaks down. And um, and then we were eyeballing the, the after party. And I had work to do still. So I'm still working. But then uh, poor Jen... I succumbed to jet lag finally and was super lame. My major contribution to the after party was while Matt was off at a panel, there was a mom and dad and a young, like 12 year old boy who were running through the con floor with this gigantic (laughs) Godzilla cake. And by that, I don't mean a sheet cake with Godzilla printed on it. I mean a full 3D Rice Krispie treat covered in chocolate model of Godzilla that they had lit with firecrackers, done the whole thing. And they're like, we're flying home today. Our son's birthday was yesterday. This was his present. We can't take this shit home with us. Will somebody, dear God, please take this and save us from ourselves? So Morgan and I uh, adopted this cake and took it back up to the hotel room. And we're like, look, Matt, take this down to the after party and everybody will lose their shit and it will be great. So we, the plan was Matt was going to work for a few hours and then around like 9.30 or so when he finished, he was going to wake me up from my nap. We were going to go to the party, bring the cake, be the heroes, the big damn heroes, call it a night. Well, I succumbed to jet lag and when he tried to wake me up, I was like, go on without me. <laughs> and I, I slept right through that thing. And I regret it because I wanted to hang out, but I did not regret it because holy hell was it a big week and I was exhausted. It, you would, I mean, just like I said, just the fact that you would come from an international business trip straight to G-Fest to work, essentially, in, a, in an environment and cosplay and go do all this social shit. The fact that you did what you were already able to do was fantastic. And it was I well worth it. We'll definitely try it again next year. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, already- I'm down. I already blocked the dates off. It's already on the counter, uh, calendar. We've already agreed that we will be putting together a new cosplay for next year. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we took a vote of our studio audience, being Madison and myself. <laughs> and the creative gods have uh, decided that we will be putting together a cosplay of the original Hoatua, not Hoatua, uh, the original Mothra priestesses. The, the Shobijin. Yes. Because they have different names in each generation. The Shobijin are what they were called in the original, which literally means small beauties. Because they like, mm-hmm. it's implied they have their own name and their own culture. But it's not shared with... Humanity. Exactly. So yeah. they just start calling them the Shobijin because it's good PR. Yeah. Uh, and then um, in the 90s, which is the movie we're going to watch, mm-hmm. they're called the Cosmos because right. they represent the balance of the universe. Which I love that. And then we're eventually going to get around to the Mothra trilogy. Yep. We, the- have a, we have a marathon scheduled for this Thursday, actually. Hell yeah. And uh, they are called the Elias. I like that. And because they, they were they were the last survivors of an ancient civilization. So I think Madison and I have made a gentleman's agreement that every year we are going to put together a new cosplay of something oriented to Mothra and uh, her priestesses. That's just going to be our shtick. Oh my god, I just had an idea. What? What if you guys, like, we could work this out. Like, runway model style, you go out in these kind of brown puffy jackets like the Mothra larvae, and then BAM! Here come the wings. Why are you got to be giving away all my trade secrets, Matthew? 
Nobody's gonna listen to this. Um, That's just, rude. Just That's kidding. very rude. We really, I really appreciate everyone who <laughs> listens to Giganticast and who comments and tells me that they like it because, dear God, you're what's keeping me going. He's really sitting here crying into his kaiju at night, waiting for people to comment <laughs> on this. So just put the man out of his misery mm. and leave some comments, please. Please, and please. Rate, rate us on iTunes too. Oh yes, please. Yes. That would be lovely. Um, I think um, that's the. Those are the the the, the uh, broad strokes. Um, there were. I think there were one or two other things I wanted to mention. Um, we did get to watch the. They, I think the world premiere of an edited shortened <gasps> version. Yes. Of Howl from Beyond the Fog, mm-hmm. which is a short film made by my friend um, Daisuke Sato, and was a Kickstarter, had a Kickstarter uh, a couple years ago, Yep, because he wanted the monster suit for the film to be created by, or to be supervised by Keizo Murase. And Murase-san was the suit maker for, he made the original Mothra, he made the Lothra larvae, he made the, Kong, the King Kong that fought Godzilla... He made King Ghidorah. Yep. He made Daimajin, which the Daimajin movies are cool. We'll have to watch those at some point. Okay. Uh, they're samurai films that break out in the kaiju movies. Yes! Uh, and, uh, he just, he's a legend in the genre, in the, in the, in the, in the genre, and, uh, I was very fortunate. I also got to meet him a few years ago as well. He signed my he signed my King Ghidorah action figure. That's oh, up cool. there. That's that one up there. Nice. And uh, he signed my uh, my Baron sketch by Nishikawa. Anyway, that's all nerd shit. But uh, Sato-san brought a uh, he brought a sh- uh, a short version of his movie that is still in production. Still in production, and we're well, still editing it. And it is about set in 1909 mm-hmm. in Japan, and it's about this giant blind monster named Nebula, Nebula, and all the human characters are represented by puppets, by marionettes, which is an old, like, I think it's Jerry Anderson, like, Thunderbirds and all that style. And uh, what did you think of it? I thought it was it was beautiful and romantic and haunting. Uh, I I really, really responded to the execution of the kaiju itself. It was this beautiful, druidic, very uh, reminiscent of, like, the never-ending story swamp scene with the world turtle and all that. The way that it was, like, formed of the earth and... The the romantic way that they filmed the entire project and the the they did use puppets as you said, but it, it reminded me of the loving manner in which they did the Dark Crystal. Sure. The way that those humanoid figures had this like beautiful romantic quality to them. It it the version of the film that we got to see, as we said, it was a, a 15 minute clip of a 45 minute project mm-hmm. and he had not edited any of the audio into it yet other than the musical score and the sound effects. So there right. was, there was no vocalizations in it. So it was this elegant silent film with an orchestrated soundtrack and the haunting sound of the beast crying out. It, it was just, it was just gorgeous, just mm-hmm. beautifully done. And it had a really amazing effect on the audience. The audience actually in droves were all uh, asking lots of questions. Cause we got to interview him after mm-hmm. the film was over and ask him questions about the development process and things. And the biggest question from the audience was, we really love the way that it works as a silent film rather than having audio because it was all subtitled in. Right. It felt like, it felt like a, an old silent film. 
we loved that execution so much that the audience were all crying out that, hey, have you considered leaving it that way and just letting that be mm-hmm. the way that it would have been done in the, ni- the early 1900s? Right. And he said that that was a really interesting concept. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does with it. But it's it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And when it is available, I highly encourage everybody to go out and see it. I, I really, um, I hope that, because I'm sure that he's probably already recorded all the audio for it, and he probably doesn't want all that to go to waste. Well, he said it, it the audio that he recorded is not a lot. Okay. It's, it's a few key moments of sound, as opposed to all of those subtitles going away and it being audio. Right. So there's not going to be much changed from what we saw to what the final project will be, which is interesting. Yeah, well, hopefully he'll maybe do two versions, maybe one that has like vocalizations and one that doesn't. Yeah. So I don't know. There's no telling, but yeah, I'm I'm very I'm very proud and very happy for him because this I met him kind of randomly at Tokyo Comic Con a few years ago, and then I didn't realize until I was actually talking to him that he was working with Marase, and then he and Marase came over to my table and they both got commissions from me, which was really sweet. Um, they're the, oh man, I just oh I'm all, I'm getting all Twitter pated. Um, and Sato-san himself has worked on quite a few uh, kaiju movies. He worked on a Gamera movie, mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing is that one of the reasons why I'm so supportive of it is because it represents modern Japanese attempts at creating tokusatsu, which is itself this kind of a dying art because mm-hmm. a lot of major studios like Toho. They want to go all CG, and it's because they want their stuff to appear as though it can be competitive to the um, appear as though it can be competitive to American films, and that's never really going to be the case, guys, because they don't have the money to, or they won't spend the money to make a film that looks like Avengers Endgame, you know. But, and when I mean, when I say that, I mean that purely from a casual audience, mass market perspective. Um, And maybe I'm wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. I just think that tokusatsu is, no one else in the world does this anymore. And I think that they should lean into it. Like, have you seen that Godzilla coffee commercial that that came out? No. We're going to watch it, because it's live action, practical effects, and some CGI overlaid on it, and it's it's very short. It's only a couple of it's like it's like a two minute thing, but it's so cool. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say was uh, Galloping Ghost Arcade. Oh man! Yeah, we had a big we had a long wait till our plane on Monday, and uh, we went there. That's where we went. So it's this it's a retro arcade where you pay a flat twenty bucks, and all of the games in this arcade are free play. So you can you can come in and play all day long if you want to. They've got two arcades, one that is strictly video games and then one that is strictly pinballs. It's a couple doors down. Mm-hmm. And this man, this arcade had the most comprehensive collection of video games from the 80s that I have ever seen and the best collection of working m- machines I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I mean really they, like only- they had the the Burger King uh, machine, and I've never seen one in working order that that is just perfect. And Burger it, it King was, or Burger was Time? Burger Time. Yeah. Sorry. You're I'm thinking sorry. about King Burger. I'm thinking about King Burger because we watched Bon Cui Cui today. Rude. Rude. Um, Rude. Rude. Sicardi. Yeah, you. so uh, they have Burger Time, and I played it, and I set the third high score. Kicked ass. 
But even more to the point of this podcast, Matt. <laughs> Fine. Tell them why you wanted to go. So I wanted to go because this is one of the only arcades in the United States that has a working, actual, legitimate cabinet for Primal Rage 2. And Primal Rage 2 is, of course, a sequel to the classic arcade game Primal Rage, where you play as these... It's basically like like Mortal Kombat, but instead of ninjas and stuff, you're playing as these kind of beast gods, these dinosaurs that are also supernaturally powerful. And there's giant apes, and there's a snake demon and stuff. And um, this was the sequel where you get to chain switch between the the dino gods and their avatars, these human characters. So much fun. And it was a really cool, and it was a lot of fun, and Jen kicked the shit out of me. Damn right I did. Not only did she kicked the shit out of me at Primal Rage, she also kicked the shit out of me at this Godzilla game. Damn right that, I did. Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but it was this fighting game that had Godzilla and King Ghidorah. It came out, let's come out in 91, because it was Godzilla, Ghidorah, Mecha Ghidorah, Megalon, Mecha Godzilla, and Gigan. And yeah... I, I think I won one round against you, and you came back with a vengeance and knocked my shit around with Ghidorah. I am king of the monsters. Jen is king of the monsters, and that is, I... That is right. I really appreciated when I was like, queen of the... You're like, no, king. King. Rude. I'm king of the monsters. But he got his own back, because mm-hmm. one of my favorite cabinets growing up was Tekken 3. Mm-hmm. And he kicked my ass <laughs> in that game. He played as Nina and just wiped the floor with me. She and I am embarrassed. But it did come down to the fifth of five rounds to determine who would win. And it came down to like the last sliver of health from both of us. So mm-hmm. at least I held my own. You held your own. Held no my question own. about that. Um, I've just never been that great at... Well, I've never been that great at games in general. I play a lot of single-player stuff. Uh, but um, you did teach me how to play Burger Time. I did. I was so proud of you. Brandon would be so <laughs> proud of both of us because he taught me how to play it, and now I've taught you, and now it, the wanna, cult continues. I want to play more of it. It's you know? such a fun game. It's really fun. Yes. We played that, we briefly played a really shitty uh, Silent Hill shooter. Ugh, tried to. The second player controller was completely disconnected, so I could not play it. And, and then, then my gun stopped working. Yeah. And it's like, that's fine. I don't want to fight these shitty zombies. This is a Resident Evil game with more fog. Yeah. Um, and then we played, what was that last shooter that we played for like five oh, years? Oh, Area 51. Area 51. Yeah, yeah. both our hands started to we played it until our hands cramped. We <laughs> and, made it to, to first captain. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. first captain or second lieutenant. It was uh, yeah, I think it was a captain. First captain, rank. yeah. But then we also played uh, Altered Beast. Yep. Which Rise was fun. from your grave. Yes. Thank God those games are on free play because boy Holy howdy, hell. that game is a quarter muncher. Uh, and then I played a very before we left, and, and of course we, we were, were also, walking out the door, and the guys who were running the place were like, "Oh yeah, you were obviously here for G Fest. Insert your Godzilla shirt and my Mothra shirt here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You, did you get to see X Y Z machine at the back of the at the back of the store? And proceeded to tell us the history of this game that was meant to be a Godzilla game, but didn't get the licensing at the last minute, so they had to name it some off-brand shenanigans. Giant monster counterattack. Yes, and so Matt's eyes lit up like a boy on Christmas morning, <laughs> who just found out that he got to open up more presents, and yep. we shuffled off into the back of the, the place to go see it. 
Well worth it. It was really cool. It was a shmup. It was a shmup where you play as a kaiju coming out of the water, and it was very charming. I, it was I, cute. I really want to keep playing it. I, I, I mean, we're going back. Yeah. Absolutely. We are making a group trip to that place as an event next year before G-Fest starts. Hell yeah. We should go up like Wednesday or something. I'm like, in. Hell Yeah. I think we've about run this into the ground, because he's done this for an hour. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I'm sure you and I could keep going, but... If you're interested in seeing more about those uh, kaiju games that we played, you can check out Matt's Facebook page if you uh, know how to get access to that. He posted a couple of videos from that up there, and you can check those out. I mean, everything on my page should be public, um, so even if you... even will probably upload friends. them to Instagram and Twitter later It's actually well. not a bad idea. Yeah, I should do, do that. And I'm gonna- do it! And I'll also post, uh, we'll, we'll post a couple of photos from the show, including your cosplay, oh, uh, in the show notes here. At, at least they should be on, gi- on the Giganticast page on oneofus.net. Perfect. Um, so yeah, so please, um, uh, thank you so much for listening. Jen, thank you so much for coming with me to G-Fest hey, and for helping. Anytime. I'll be there next year. It's already on my calendar. I got, I gotta go though. I gotta go work on cosplay. I'm behind. You gotta get, you gots to go. Uh, so yeah, uh, rate us on iTunes, you know, five stars, please. Um, and, uh, go back and listen to some of our past episodes, like with, uh, my interview with Hiroshi, which I thought was really, really nice. I got a lot of, I got a really nice feedback for that. We have our three episodes of the Godzilla anime that we did. Uh, if you are interested in following my journey of learning everything that is kaiju, please do in the comments, uh, give us suggestions on which movies we should have me watch next and why. Right. Uh, we will possibly take those consider- into consideration and influence which movies I get to watch next. I'm interested to see what you guys think will be important to me as a budding fan of the kaiju genre. But don't be crazy. Don't be um. crazy. <laughs> no, please be crazy. I, I want to show her some weird shit. I'm, all right. I'm um, into it. I'm in. Uh, I'm all in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also, uh, in the future, yeah, just post questions, too. If you guys have any questions about stuff, send a response. This is an interactive channel. We are happy to answer your questions. Yeah, so with that, um... Where Thanks. can they find you, Matt? Oh, right. That's right. I'm, I'm a person. Plug yourself. Uh, well, you guys can normally find me over at mattfrankart.net. That's my main hub. That's where all my stuff is. It's where you can find my Facebook, my Instagram, my Twitter. I don't link, bother linking my Tumblr anymore because Tumblr is dead. Um... And, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, Buy some art. Support your local artists. Red Man Volume 3 is coming out later this year. I've got a bunch of other stuff coming out. My new board game, Smash City, just came out. Woo-hoo. I've got a bunch of stuff coming out that I friggin' can't talk about yet. But, anything else you want to plug, Jen? Uh, go check out Rage Select if you want to see salty, sad boys play video <laughs> games that they may or may not love and or hate. Go back and find our episodes, specifically. Yeah, those are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, team uh, JRPG, hashtag butt stuff. Hashtag butt stuff, hashtag adjacent, hashtag... Adjacent, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Um, I'm Mayhem's Muse. You can find me on all the social medias. Um, Jennifer Larson and or Mayhem's Muse. Mayhem's underscore Muse. One of those permutations on all the stuff. And uh, consider being coming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Uh, there's a couple of episodes of... There's a lot of stuff that I've done that you guys haven't heard because you're not subscribers. Do it! You could be subscribing, but you're not. So you should go subscribe. You and if you do subscribe, go become one of us. One of us. One, one of us. us. Good bull gobble. Good bull gobble. Long live Bata. Bye.